Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The NBA Finals are here. Major League Baseball approaches its all-star break. The NCAA shockingly hasn't crumbled to its core now that NIL has been enacted as of the 1st of July. And apparently somebody won the Stanley Cup this week. Congrats to the Tampa Bay Lightning. We start in the NBA. We record this show by happenstance, usually during an NBA game, and the same is happening tonight as Game 2 of the NBA Finals has tipped and is at its half. So far, the Suns have taken control. The Suns have a 1-0 lead in the series with a nice little win in Game 1, and they're looking to take home court for the first go-around. As the saying goes, the series doesn't start until someone wins on the road. Stranger things have happened, as we've been mentioning every time we've done these shows, so no sense in predicting at this moment who's going to win game two and what that's going to look like, but we can at least look at the series as a whole, which was a little up in the air for the Milwaukee Bucks as to the status of one Giannis Antetokounmpo because of his knee injury, up in the air as to whether he'd be able to return or not, how severe it was. We know what happens when you hear knee injuries and the team doesn't really go into further detail as with Kawhi Leonard, who injured his knee and was out for the rest of the postseason. Although every game, it seemed like it was going to be up in the air whether or not he'd play. But he returned for game one and played well. And yet they lost in pretty handed fashion. For the doubters, the Bucks are better without Giannis, they were saying now, because they won two games without him. Maybe they need him on the bench. A little preposterous. Although he has returned, and unfortunately for the Bucks at this moment, they have fallen behind the Phoenix Suns. Who knows whether or not that'll last? It seems like whenever it looks like a series in these NBA playoffs is going to go one way in one direction, it immediately changes paths just when you least expect it. So don't be surprised to have the Bucks go back to Milwaukee, take two games, and this be a 2-2 series. But we have to talk about the here and now and where we stand in this series and how impressive the Suns have looked, albeit early, but they came out, did their business, are doing their business in game two, and took the first game and looked to take two in the NBA Finals. You have to at least say they've done their job to this point in the series. Absolutely, without a doubt. What's got to happen tonight is the Bucks have to start making some shots and the Suns have to start missing some shots. The Bucks can't put the ball in the ocean. Uh, going back to game one, they shot the ball incredibly well from three, but they didn't get to the free throw line. Uh, they got an incredibly poor whistle. Suns played well. Chris Paul played terrific. Uh, they've 
didn't defend him properly, uh, as we've heard ad infinitum from everyone going under the pick and rolls nonstop and not putting True Holiday on him for basically the duration of the game. And he picked him apart. Mid-range, 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 hit a couple threes, wherever he wanted to go, because Holiday was busy guarding uh, you know, their off guard and held him to 0 for 6. So it wasn't a great night for Booker because of Holiday when he was on him, but it was a great night for Chris Paul because basically nobody was on him. And somehow, someway, in a mind-boggling scenario, Chris Middleton managed to take 26 shots of all varieties, three-pointers, runners, jumpers, mid-range, driving, and somehow, someway, three officials didn't blow the whistle once. On all 26 of those, somehow, someway, he was defended so well that even though he shot well, he didn't get the foul line once, which is beyond belief. And Booker went to the foul line every time you breathed on him heavy. Point being, Suns took advantage, 25 for 26 from the line. And despite the fact that the Bucks shot the ball well from three, they missed a lot of easy shots early on. They could never catch up. And Giannis had some rust, even though he played well and looked good. They're not going to win games when Giannis and Eaton have the same stat line. They need Giannis to score in the low 30s to mid 30s in these games. So 20, 22 points isn't going to do it. And Holiday's got to shoot better. Uh, has to take a few more shots. And they have to keep, as I said, Phoenix off the foul line some and get to the foul line more, especially Middleton. Lo and behold, they come out tonight. Phoenix only shoots one free throw in the first half, but catches fire in the second quarter. The Bucks go stone cold, get outscored 30-16. to 16. Middleton and Holiday can't make a shot. And Giannis has 10 shots and 10 points in the first half. You, again, that's not enough shots for Giannis. I love Holiday, but they don't need, need him to take 14 shots in the first half. They need him to take 10 or 11 shots in the first half. It makes sure Giannis gets 14 or 15 shots in the first half. And tonight, the Suns, who didn't do a lot of damage from three, shot the lights out from three in the first half. And have come out here in the second half and off to a good start, up by 13. So you know, the Bucs have got to find a way to get rolling offensively, get to the foul line, and from a defensive perspective, they've done a good job on Chris Paul, but they have to make some shots. And they have to do a better job of being more consistent on both ends of the floor. Uh, they will go through stretches where they shoot it well but don't defend well, other stretches where they defend well but can't make a shot. They have not been able to put together a solid stretch of basketball where they're doing everything well, defending, playing proper offense, and making open shots. First half, game one, missed a ton of bunnies. Tonight, first half, missed a ton of open looks. 15-footers, 18-footers, three-pointers, wide-open shots. The Middleton just could not knock down, and... You know, Holiday could, you know, awful, awful uh, in terms of shooting. And you know, the Suns, much higher shooting percentages. But I'm going to say they're not necessarily better shots, but making their open shots. And the Bucs are missing open shots. You need to make open shots at this level. 
you know, contested shots are tough enough. You got to make open shots. Simple as that. And you have to make sure that you are going to defend Chris Paul by putting your best defender on him and not let him go where he wants to go off of these switches on the pick and rolls 40 feet, 35 feet from the basket. You don't have to switch on Chris Paul 35 feet from the basket. You know, he's not going to, he's not Damian Lillard and he's not Steph Curry and he's not Trey Young. He's not going to shoot from out there. He wants a probe. He wants to control the ball, get in, move around, and he will shoot when he gets to the spot he wants if he hasn't gotten it to somebody else for a better shot. That's when he'll shoot. And he will probe and probe and probe and probe and shoot the little bit. And he will always go to his right every time. Simple as pie. I understand all-timer, maybe a top five point guard. We won't fight about that tonight. But the point is, just like you make Harden go, make him go left. Make him go left once. The only time he ever goes right and left is after he's gone right and gotten to where he wants to go, and then he goes to the left. you got to make him go to the left into the painted area and finish that way or dish from there. His passes all come from the right side of the lane. He only takes his little mid-range jumpers from the left side when he starts on the right side and winds up on the left side. You must make him go left on the dribble and shoot with the offhand. And when he gets in there, got to go down. Got to go down. Not not dirty. He's got to go. He'll follow you. Got to knock him down. Got to put him on the ground. Wear him out. Make him make those free throws. Do not let him go to his right. Make him finish going to his left. Make him pass going to his left. He goes right every freaking time. You know, like clockwork. So we'll see if the Bucks are able to do some of that and if they'll start making some shots and if Phoenix cools off a little bit. Uh, I still think this has got a chance to be a really good series. But I also believe that the Bucks do need a split. Now, they lost the first two against Brooklyn, came back and won four to five. Four to five is a tough road to home. I wasn't concerned losing the first one because they lost the first one in every series. And game ones don't mean a lot to me. Games two do, or game twos. Game twos to me mean a lot um, because somebody's taking control. Uh, somebody either is broken or somebody is taking control of the series with a 2-0 lead. So I think game twos are vitally important. And I think tonight, is incredibly important for the Bucks. The interesting storyline for me is a big three type of headline for both teams. We talked about this on me the Me too, show but it hasn't been that. It hasn't, right. It has not been that. That's so what I mean. I, it has to be, right, for either team. It was in game one for the Suns, but Drew Holiday is going to have to be that third guy consistently for the Bucks. That's the interesting thing about this league this year where the theme of the big three kind of went away. It was the big two for so many teams. And then you just needed that one other guy every night. Didn't matter who it was. He doesn't have to score 25 or 30. You know, I, I, you know, to me, to me, the mix for the bucks is low to mid 30. To me, the mix for the bucks is as follows. Giannis and Middleton 60. That's the mix for the bucks. Yeah. Holiday 20-ish, 
and double digits in assists. Yeah. Now, if you want to call that a big three, okay, there's your big three. Okay, you know, 80 between the three. But to me, it, you know, it, it's I, I think the first two need 60 because that means Middleton is scoring from three-point range. That means he's getting to the foul line. That means his mid-range is working because Middleton scores in a variety of ways. That's why he's such a good offensive player. He's got an excellent mid-range. He knocks it down from three, and he's a great free-throw shooter. So he gives you all off assets in your half-court offense, and he's big enough to go inside. So he can give you all the aspects on the scoring front in your half-court offense. He can do it off the dribble. He can do it off screens. He can catch and shoot, and he can get to the free-throw line, and he can make them all because he's got a great stroke. And he's a big-time free-throw shooter in crunch time. And you need not Giannis in that painted area because I don't think they have anybody who can stop Giannis. Aiton's very good, but I don't think he's a big-time defender at the rim. And I think Giannis needs to go in and body him and use his strength and make Aiton defend and see if can get him in foul trouble. Yeah, get him out of the game. And if not, if, if Aiton's not going to be able to defend him with his body, he should be able to score much more easily down there. And they don't have any help down there besides Aiton. You know, they lost their backup big guy to an ACL. So, Frank Kaminsky? I don't think so. That's why I think Giannis needs to be going for low to mid-30s in these games. Because I don't think they have the ample size inside to stop him if they make a concerted effort to get him and even Brooke Lopez the ball in the paint regularly. He almost does it with ease, too, Giannis. As, for example, in game two, we happen to be halfway through the third, and he's got 25 points. Just another night. Sometimes, if he does what Al has been preaching him to do and just stay in the post, be dominant, use your size, use your length, et cetera, et cetera, he has those LeBron-esque games where you don't even realize the numbers that he's putting up are as impressive as they are because you just expect him to do it. He'll finish with 30 and 20 and just go, well, yeah, of course. Why not? You're the MVP. You should be getting those types of numbers. He can make it look so easy sometimes, and that's what he has to do. As for the 60 points, you'd love for it to be at least 60-40 on the Middleton side. Have him go off for a night, drop at least 25. Go from there. Him be the main scorer and have Giannis be able to take a couple steps back. You'd love to see that, and we've seen it throughout the NBA playoffs. Middleton will go off on one night, and the Bucks seemingly win with ease. You could rest Giannis's knee. You don't have to have him on the foul line. But then there's nights where it's 10 or 15 points, and you're looking around wondering what happened. Well, the thing is, as good as Aiton has is, is become, they don't have a matchup for Giannis. He's a tough guy to match up with to begin with, obviously. But I, I just don't see if they go to him on a regular basis. Aiton, to me, does not have the experience or the strength yet to stop him. I don't know how he doesn't stay out of foul trouble if he goes after him all game long. And that's the key. To, you, you get him in foul trouble, it's a different game. We haven't seen him in foul trouble in this entire series. I'm sorry, in this, in this entire postseason. He is always out there with three fouls, two fouls. Maybe he picks up four fouls in an entire game. No one has attacked him. I think he has to be, and it's not a knock on the kid. It's just the fact that the only guy who's been in a position to attack was a healthy Anthony Davis. 
and the Lakers won both those games. I mean, he's averaging, it has to be at least 38 minutes a night. He's getting 39, 40, 41. You, you can't have that if you don't have somebody that could match him on both ends of the ball. You have to get him out of the game, and that'll completely change it. I agree with you 100%. They have to work on that and see if they can use him being young and a little inexperienced, going up against Giannis, who's been here before, that's an adjustment that they definitely have to make, especially at home, especially at home. If you can't figure it out on the road, Bud has his problems, and he looks like he sees a ghost every time the camera pans to him, at least figure it out once you go home. Is there a team in this series? We talked about the inexperience. Jay Crowder is the only person that's played in the NBA Finals, and that was last year in the bubble. So everybody's coming into this new regardless of how long you've been in the league like Chris Paul. And there's storylines for each team, although the viewership so far hasn't been great for the finals. Not a lot of people tuned into game one. We Can't obviously won't it. know game two. Can't expect it. It's not like Chris Paul is bringing you know, eyeballs to the TV uh, because it's his first final. It's, it's not, you know, Charles Barkley, uh, who is nationally known, even back then, he was nationally known. Uh, you know, around mound the rebound. Oh, he's off finally, TV. Fun. He doesn't have social media, so we're not going to hear from Chuck anymore. But 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 Chuck was you know in the news a lot. Chuck you know, went to the went to the Suns, uh, who at that point had been a successful franchise. So uh, you you had him going from a successful franchise to an already successful franchise. Well, plus, you had the and, Olympic viewership from the Dream Team. The whole world and, tuning in for Chuck, and they had a phenomenal season. Uh, but that was before that was, and that was right after the Dream Team. Exactly. This is the finals. This is what it's all about. This is where you need to bring your absolute A game. You, you can't play well for two quarters. You can't play well for a quarter and a half. You need to defend for forty-eight minutes, and you need to run your half-court offense and get good shots and take good care of the basketball and make your free throws. It's kind of simple stuff. Rick Barry was on today on the starting lineup, and I'll tell you, I was ready to get out of the car, and then I hear Rick Barry, and they had talked about getting him on. I mean, this guy is you – you just got to listen anytime you hear him talk. He is – was new report, folks. Please do your homework. Look up Rick Barry. Son's in the league. He's the guy who shot underhand free throws, folks. There you go. 90% from the foul line underhand. And a premier scorer led the country in scoring at the University of Miami. That's right, folks. University of Miami had a basketball team before Leonard Hamilton, and it was Rick Barry. First team All-American, championships in the ABA, 75 MVP of the finals with a warrior team that nobody knew except for him. And listening to him today, I mean, he has no filter whatsoever, none. Asked about, you know, Chris Paul, for example, or you know, other players who haven't won championships. He says that's a pile of garbage. You know, how great you are has nothing to do with how many championships you won. It's got to do with your teammates. I was lucky if to win a championship. It's because of my teammates. I don't win without them. He talks about a game seven against the Bulls when he stunk the joint up. Uh, and Al Adel sat him down for seven minutes in the fourth quarter. Uh, and his 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 Warriors held the Bulls without a field goal. Because 
he goes, how about that? One of the greatest coaching moves of all time. I was thinking to join up. They, 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 they basically won in spite of me, you know, that particular game, you know, in, in the uh, Western conference finals. So he has no filter. He's brutally honest. And he just can't understand why these guys struggle from the following, why these guys won't at least try shooting underhanded because it's such an easier shot. It's such a more natural shot. You have so much more of an opportunity for it to go in if it's not perfectly accurate because, you know, the ball is almost dead and it goes up there softer, et cetera. And it's just listening to him talk about the, the present, the past, the players then, the players now, healthy respect for the game now and the players now, absolutely. But he is, he's, he's a must-listen, an absolute must-listen. Anybody out there, if they want to go back and listen to uh, the starting lineup with Frank Iasola and Brian Scalabrini from this morning, this Thursday morning, July 8th, from about 9.15 to 9.30, listen to the great Rick Barry. You will learn a lot, and you will be vastly entertained because he is something. What I love about Rick is a lot of people will press their methods for things and their ideologies, and maybe you should do this, or you should do that, or this is how I did it. And there's often times where you could pick holes at those arguments or ideals by the stats. Well, you say this works, but if you look here, it didn't. If you look there, it didn't. Rick can talk shit about how he shot free throws because he's the greatest free throw shooter of all time. And just look at it. There's your answers. Look at all the stats. Look at all the numbers. When you're able to back up what you're preaching with almost 100% efficiency with it, it's unbelievable. Like, he should be on a show every week talking about it and don't shut up until he can't talk no more. Because when you're watching playoff games in particular and some of the stars in the league, and we unfortunately are looking at Giannis because he's under the spotlights here in the NBA Finals, how these superstars can't shoot consistent free throws, not even to hit 70%. We're just asking for a passing grade. Like you used, like you do with your high school kids. You're just begging they pass. You don't even have to get A's or B's. Just pass for me, will you, so we don't have to hold you back or send you to Sunday school. We're not asking for much. Summer school. Sunday school maybe too. Just pass baby. It's a phrase we had senior year in college. Just pass baby. Let's just get the hell out of here and be able to walk up there on graduation day, grab that blank piece of paper before they send the one that cost all that money in the mail. And they can't hit 70%. It blows my mind. And who's going to tell them what to do? Do you think one of the coaches is going to say, hey, you keep missing free throws. Everyone you miss, we're going to find you $10,000, $20,000. You're not going to be able to tell them what to do. Let's say, screw you, man. You know who I am? You know what I do for this team? You don't want me out there? Fine, I'll sit the bench. Good luck. A player's not going to accept the responsibility and or the punishment and sit at the line for a thousand free throws after a game to make sure they don't miss in these moments. I don't know if it's mental, physical, emotional, what it is. We could even look at our favorite player on the Lakers now, whether we like it or not, LeBron James, although we'd probably say it was Anthony Davis. You watch LeBron and all that he's done and all that he will do and him at the free throw line is a Russian roulette experience every time where you just spin the gun and wait for him to shoot you in the face. 
And more often than not, you're getting shot in the face in the most important moments. It is mind-boggling to me. And Rick Barry can just tell it how it is because he didn't miss. And he did it his way, an unorthodox way, be it, but it worked better than anyone's ever done it before. Never stop talking, Rick. Come on the show and yell at people on our platform. We'll have you on whenever you'd like. I don't get it. And I'm glad that he still keeps at people to follow his lead because it's, it's nothing, losing games. Nothing, nothing. And that's the way he played. Just so you know, you young folks and, and, and your new report. That's the way Rick Barry played. Rick Barry played with a chip on his shoulder. Rick Barry was not afraid to call out his teammates. Rick Barry was not afraid to motivate his teammates. Rick Barry was one of the most honest players and analysts you will ever hear. He was a great analyst on CBS. Rick Barry called people out. Rick Barry was unafraid. He's absolutely fearless. Tough guy. Tough guy. Because if you don't like honesty, if you can't deal with honesty, you're not going to be able to deal with Rick Barry. Tough guy to deal with. Does he hold everybody to his standard? Rick Barry holds everybody to his standard of not excellence, his standard of effort. There's a big difference. Rick Barry will not be critical if you have the effort and you provide the kind of, you, you, you show the kind of attitude where you are trying your best to improve. That's effort. It doesn't always have to result in excellence because it doesn't always. There aren't guarantees that practice makes perfect. But, you know, Rick Barry wants to see you be the best you can be, and the only way you can do that is by effort. That's when he becomes critical. That's what he will not condone. He was great. He was pure. Incredible stroke. Great shooter. One of the greatest passing forwards ever to set foot on a basketball court at any level. And an intense competitor. Hard-nosed, never afraid to dive, not afraid to mix it up, looked like a pretty boy, wasn't. Would go in there and mix it up, would fight. He, would, he played with a chip on his shoulder. And when the best guy plays with a chip on his shoulder, who is you know, always looking to push his teammates and never satisfied, always driven, I mean, how are you going to knock that? How are you going to knock that? You simply can't. The Suns have knocked down 15 threes. Every time you turn around, it's somebody else. Doesn't matter who it is. You know, wh wh whether it's Booker or whether it's uh, you know, the, the kid from Villanova or whether it's Cam Johnson off the bench. Uh, you know, the lead is nine with 140 to go, folks. Excuse me, 10 with 140 to go in the third quarter. And, you know, when you're down 10, you can't play back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, which is basically what the Bucks have been doing in the second half. Every time they get a turnover, they give it back. Every time it looks like they're going to get a bounce, you know, it, it goes the other way with a missed shot, a wide, a, a wide open miss, another turnover, a missed three, which turns into a three at the other end. Uh, or Giannis missed free throws. <laughs> it's just a, you know, a, a, a combination that is uh, a recipe for a loss. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. 
He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Shout out to the Suns fans, by the way, continuing to count down or up, uh, that, I should say. That's wearing me out. Free throw more importantly, more importantly, what I don't understand is, and I'm, I know he's uh, positive, almost positive he's still around. It used to be in the heyday of the Suns, uh, when the finals were on CBS, deep in the playoff runs with the Suns. NBC, CBS. We saw the gorilla. Where is the gorilla? Where is the greatest mascot in the history of the NBA? Where is the gorilla with the dunks off the mini tramp, the dunks off the springboard, the flips and the dunks, the 360 dunks? Where is the gorilla? I haven't seen the gorilla in prime time the entire postseason. Is he still there? You know, I don't know. You're exactly right. You know, they got these 8K cameras now where they're zooming in on the fans in the first couple rows, and it looks like they're in a video game vortex with how clear, way too clear the picture is. But, yeah, get off these random blonde-haired, long-haired teenagers. Where's the gorillas, right? The gorilla signed a deal with Nike a few years back. I believe it was Nike. Signed an endorsement deal. You know, where is he? The most entertaining mascot in the NBA. And there's nothing else to see with gloves. Yeah, you're right. We got to get on Rex Chapman on social media or something. To Can track you do that, please? Down. Can you ask King Rex where the gorilla is? Would you do that, please? Is he retired? Can't be. Can't be. Can't be. Can't be. Unacceptable. Maybe they're waiting. I don't know why they would wait. I mean, you're running out of time. It's game two. You might not come back. That's exactly right. You might not come back. Yeah, we, we're running out of time to find this girl. I'll have to look into that as the show goes on. We'll have answers for you guys where the girl is and if Rex gets back to us. Speaking of that, before we wrap the NBA up, since there is a chance that the series is over, the next time we speak, the Suns fans would love that. I'll have to ask this in two parts then. Who do you think is going to win this slash who do you want to win this, just as a fan of basketball? Oh, the Bucs. The Bucs. I, I think it's great for the league if the Bucs win. Uh, I think it's great for – because, you know, it, to me, it's all about Giannis staying in Milwaukee, the big potential free agent, not leaving for greener pastures, for bigger markets, and succeeding in that market and showing others that it can be done, that you don't have to leave and go elsewhere to win the title. And that doesn't mean, you know, leaving New York or leaving L.A. All right? That means, you know, leaving the mid-size market, that in this case hasn't won a championship in 50 years, to go and chase a ring or chase, you know, the media circus of the bigger, you know, the, the bright lights of the bigger market. And that's why I think it's incredibly important for the NBA. It's, inc- it's, inc- it's incredibly important for the other franchises that are in the same scenario and the same situation with respect to the size of the market and who may wind up with a big star to keep that star there and show that you can surround him with quality players and win 
and compete for a championship, and in this case, win a championship. And that's why I think it's vastly important. It would be great for the league if the Bucs can pull this off. I'm with you completely on the honest side. I, I think as sports fans, and especially in basketball, every time a player leaves a team for another to either go to the specific team or to play with specific players, we rip them for it. What are they doing? Can't they win on their own? Why do they need X, Y, and Z to win a championship? There's an asterisk by it. If they do win because they needed help, and on and on it goes. Giannis said, F all that. I'm staying in Milwaukee. We're running it back. I have my Batman and Chris Middleton. Whether or not you believe he is, is another discussion. But it was nice to see in a way, hey, I'm staying. Let's go. Let's go out and do it. And now he's got them in the NBA Finals. He's played a hell of a game, too. He's getting a double-double, no problem, dropping 30 points. He's doing his part. He's and this looking is at not, everybody this else is waiting not, theirs. This is not a Kawhi Leonard opt-out deal. All right? This is the long-term deal. Uh, this is the max deal. He's there. Period. End of story. So he talks about they invested in him, and he's now showing that loyalty back to them. It's, what, it it's what we always want to see and yell about seeing, and it's happened. This is who you have to put your money behind in this series. Not literally, but your support behind. I mean, you and I probably feel the same way of how much we would have loved Chris Paul and the Lakers when they were going to trade for him. Unfortunately, David Stern had other ideas. And since then, Chris Paul has unfortunately just had a sour taste in my mouth. Devin Booker, being from Kentucky, scoring 70 that one night and acting like they won the NBA Finals when they lost the game itself. Stephen A. now comparing him to Kobe. Oh, please. The please. Derek Carr, eyeliner type, stop? good Charlotte can, eyes. Can, 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 can we stop with Stephen A.? You know, I, I mean, just he, he, when you never shut up, you're bound to say something stupid. And Stephen A. proves it every day. Every day. He's always got to say something. I mean, you know, and nobody's going to call him out. The only, the only people to call him out is his show. If you're going to talk like a horse's ass and say moronic things, you're going to get called out. We don't care who you are. You're in our area now. All right? This is where we go. This is where we listen. This is where we watch. This is where we think. This is what we love. This is where we talk. But we don't talk just to talk. Stephen A. talks just to talk so you can talk about Stephen A., like what you hear what Stephen A said, or when we say to hear what Stephen A said, we say it's he's a horse's ass. Because if you think that, you're a buffoon. You're an absolute moron. Booker has done absolutely nothing to show that he is the next Kobe Bryant, nor is anyone else. Why? Because there is only one Kobe Bryant. There will only be one Kobe Bryant. There is no next Michael Jordan. There is no next LeBron James. There is no next Kobe Bryant. There is no Tim Duncan. Now, he can be Booker, and he can be great. But stop with this. He's the next. He's the best. These guys are babies. Why? Because you want us to say 10 years from now, he's got a couple cha- couple chambers. Boy, boy, remember Stephen A. said he's the next Kobe Bryant? Well, he still won't be the next Kobe Bryant. Because he won't score 60 the last game of his career. And he was not going to win five championships. And you want to know something? 
I'm guaranteeing he's not going to win five championships. How about that? I guarantee he's not going to win five titles. How about that? Yeah, what do you think of that, Stephen A? And I'm just throwing that up again. I, I am saying that because I really believe it. And you're not saying that because you believe it. Like Keyshawn is actually dumb enough to think or, or, or be your mouthpiece. Uh, Stephen A says these things because he truly believes him. He truly believes all right, that the Mitchell kid is all, is the best play, jazz player of all time. Not that he's going to be. He's the best jazz player of all time. Okay. Right. Been how many finals? Won how many MVPs? Won how many rounds of playoffs? Right, and he's going to be the second leading scorer in the history of the sport. Okay. The sin of that for the and, Devin and, Booker you know, part was Magic Johnson sitting there laughing while he was saying it. Get out of your chair, then, Magic, and slap Stephen A. Smith across the face. Slap him upside the head. Slap him upside the head. Slap the buffoon upside the head. I know you're not with the Lakers anymore in a paid position, but come on, man. You got to stick up for your guys. All you got to be is a basketball fan. All you got to be is have some semblance of IQ of the sport. But, you know, the mouth that roared, the prince of pontification, as we call him on this program, doesn't know when to shut up. And we don't know when to shut up. You know, sooner or later, you're going to say something that's stupid. And with him, it's sooner. He's got too many hours to fill on the air. That's what happens when you have too many hours. Too many talk shows, his own show. He used to do the radio show. He's doing the post-game hits. He's all over the place. When you have too much space to fill, as you mentioned, eventually you're going to fill it with the wrong information and the wrong takes. It's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. I th- want the Bucks to win. Unfortunately for them, I think the Suns are going to win just because of how they've been playing. It seems like this is one of those, this is their year type moments. They've stayed healthy mostly. And that's, I think, what's going to be able to take them to the top is the health part of all of this. Even though there's a ton of off days in the NBA finals, which I always forget about until it happens because We'll talk next Thursday, and game four will be played Wednesday. Do the math. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I wanted to ask you this last week, and I forgot, or we didn't have enough time, or both regarding NIL and players finally getting paid for their likeness and being able to go out and make some money and benefit from all that information. I didn't get to ask is the old report to have some fun with the question as other outlets have done as to whom from the college athletics that you've watched that you think would have benefited the most from name image and likeness in his or her heyday, whether it be on the basketball side, the football side, or other sports, if there's a couple players that immediately come to your mind as, man, if they were getting paid back then, even without social media, how much money they would have made just because of the impact they had either for the school or for the sport. Because there's easy names to throw out and people immediately go with, well, Reggie Bush would have made this. Yeah, okay. You know, Peyton Manning would have made Yes. But I think the benefit of NIL for a lot of schools and a lot of players is going to be that like homegrown, small town, small school impact that athletes have. 
And I wondered who comes to mind for you, whether it's your own alma mater at Syracuse or just sports in general. Well, the first guy that would come to mind is because of, and it's not small school, um, it is home state. But if you look at how successful he was as soon as he was able to be marketed, because remember, he played football and won a Heisman Trophy and played baseball in college. The first name that comes to mind is absolutely Bo Jackson. Absolutely, Bo Jackson, because, you know, the Bo Knows advertising campaign of Nike was one of the biggest of all time Yeah, because of Bo's versatility. And Bo didn't just have that versatility when he went to the pros. Bo had that versatility in college, playing college baseball as a slugger and obviously being the Heisman Trophy winner, uh, you know, for Auburn on the football field. So that could have been something that we saw when he was at Auburn, but you know, there are others. Well, Bo, uh, for example, would never have an off day if he didn't want to for a college season, he's playing football. Then he's obviously got baseball on the fire. And if he wanted to, he could have thrown in track and field, indoor, outdoor. If he really wanted, there would have been no days off. He could have done a sport from the start of the semester in the fall to the end of it in the spring and capitalized on all of the days. That's how versatile he was in an athlete. Oh, you want me to shoot this bow and arrow with my feet and do a commercial for the archery team at Auburn? Sure. Where's Bo was the modern-day Jimmy Brown. Unbelievable. The Bo was the closest thing, uh, not even the new report would know, but the mid-report between you and me. Uh, I, I guess you remember Bowen. Do you even remember Bowen College? We had the ESPN 30 for 30 as probably the best refresher right, but, for but what you're, but, but, but for those who remembered Bowen College, and uh, you know, obviously he's a pro, and his skill set is athleticism, he was probably the closest thing we ever saw you know, to Jimmy Brown, who to me is the greatest athlete of all time. You know, in this in this country's history, who was obviously the greatest running back of all time with the Cleveland Browns, and thought by many to be the greatest cross player of all time at Miami Mater at Syracuse, was the all-time leading high school basketball scorer in Long Island basketball history until recently. Uh, did everything, you name it, he did it. Um, was was you know, a great track athlete, um, phenomenal. And Bo was really like the closest thing, you know, to Jimmy Brown. Uh, in turn, I, I think of you know, Wayne Gretzky as a teenager uh, playing junior hockey before he even got to the World Hockey Association. He was a legend. What would have happened in Canada with his name and likeness, with him growing up, uh, you know, as, as an absolute teen phenom before we even saw him? Uh, in the World Hockey Association, and then you know, later with Edmonton, uh, you know, you think about uh, phenoms, you know, at the high school level before they got to the NBA. Kobe Bryant, Kevin Garnett, you know, as high schoolers, Moses Malone, the first truly hugely successful high school player to go straight to the pros the ABA, and then the NBA. What would he have been like in Virginia 
at you know in, in high school in Virginia. Allen Iverson, another example, all-world basketball player, all-state first-team basketball, and high school quarterback in Norfolk, Virginia. What would he have been like in terms of image and likeness, just to name a few? first name that comes to mind or how I would try to think of it would be with my favorite basketball player, J.J. Redick. But I'm not sure he would have benefited too greatly from the Duke side of things. He would have obviously made a decent living with Duke merchandise, but it's Duke. There's other players. There's other guys. It's the team sometimes. Where he would have benefited is if he could have found a way to sign on with the rival company that were making the I hate JJ Reddick shirts. And that's just being kind. The phrases were a lot more crass under the table contract. So nobody knew, but he would get a piece from the North Carolina fans, the Maryland fans, the other ACC fans buying the, I hate JJ Reddick merch. Now that's where he would have made his money. The hatred merch, not the, we love JJ Reddick merch. It would have, tripled or quadrupled in price the other way around. So it would have had to work some way out to get the other side of the coin. And another one for image and likeness, um, because he was such a phenom at such a young age. Uh, The other one that jumps to mind, and I think it would have been huge because the theme song they would run when he was freshman was the rock song Superman. And that would have been Herschel Walker, who should have been the only freshman ever to win Eisman Trophy when in the beginning of the season, he was not a starter and then took college football by storm, led Georgia to an undefeated season, season the national title. Uh, George Rogers won the Heisman. George Rogers was a, a, a really good college running back in South Carolina. Uh, they had a mono a mono matchup, which was the in-state rivalry, Georgia against South Carolina. George Rogers had a huge fumble in that game and that helped Georgia seal the victory. Uh, look it up. And they went on to win the national title. Herschel Walker, only a freshman would have been mammoth, huge. Remember he also played for two more years. Herschel Walker is one of the two or three players in my mind, uh, going back to OJ Simpson, who rightfully should have won. Uh, multiple Heisman trophies. Eisen, you know, O.J. Simpson should have won in 67 and 68. He didn't win in 67. Gary Beaven did. Uh, O.J. won and USC won the national title. The next year they were undefeated, lost to Ohio State in the matchup of undefeateds for the national title in the Rose Bowl, and he won the Heisman Trophy. Herschel Walker finally won the Heisman Trophy, I believe his junior year. He should have won it at least twice his freshman year and one other year. And of course, Archer Griffin was the only one to do it, and he shouldn't have won. He shouldn't have won any, let alone win two. Uh, terrific college player, but not worthy of, of, of two Heisman's for sure. Uh, O.J. Simpson, obviously, you know, in his days at USC, would have been mammoth. Uh, he was all world. He was the best player in college football his two years there after transferring from junior college in San Francisco. He would have been huge. Obviously, Luel Cinder three consecutive national championships at UCLA coming out of Power Memorial before he went to the Bucks, later to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, just to name a few, because these were such mammoth, mammoth collegiate stars. Their likeness and their images were known nationwide. 
to a national TV audience. So had they been able to market themselves at that point in time, there would have been a massive, massive success. And on that front, what we need to also note is every one of these kids should be instructed by their representative, agent, lawyer, parent, otherwise, to sit down, not go to their phone, to sit down and simply write out a thank you note. Very short, very sweet. Two lines. Dear Mr. O'Bannon, thank you for your effort. Thank you for your dedication. Thank you for doing everything you could for all of us to help make our lives better. That's Ed O'Bannon, University of California, Los Angeles, member of the national championship team that beat Arkansas with his younger brother, Charles, who really started all of this battle to allow college players to profit from their image and likeness, whether it's off of EA or whatever else, finally has come to fruition. He is the Kurt Flood of amateur athletes, college athletes, image and likeness. He is doing for college athletes what Kurt Flood did in finally breaking, challenging, and ultimately breaking the reserve clause, which eventually resulted in free agency for Major League Baseball. And there's the fun example that we both share, a player that brought a national championship to Syracuse, one of Scranton's favorite sons, Jerry McNamara. Well, and let's, a gr- not well say, let's not say brought. Carmelo Anthony right. brought the championship. Jerry McNamara was indeed a supporting cast member and a very large one. He's a great but, example of how beneficial NIL can be to those secondary or third role players. Era. Because, for example, I mean, you have a game like you do in the national championship. You immediately become a star there for the rest of your career. You never have to do anything else, basically. Not to say that he didn't, but that was it. There's there's icing on the cake along with Carmelo. But for the the hometown aspect of it, the small-town aspect of it, like we're talking about with these smaller communities, these close-knit communities and towns and schools, there were dozens of buses that came from Scranton every weekend to watch him play. Sometimes it'd be 50-something buses coming to the Carrier Dome, 2,000 people just to watch Jerry McNamara play. That was aside from at home, obviously, his high school games. You'd have to get there three or four hours early just to get a standing room ticket. But if you do a commercial for the bus company, do a couple hits for them, hey, Come on down to whatever tours we're heading down to Syracuse this Saturday to watch us play the Georgetown Hoyas. I mean, money will just rolling hand over fist. If you could get a cut of those bucks, those bus tickets, Johnny man's that's the dream. Johnny man's hometown hero, huge high school phenom Heisman trophy is freshman year. And some of these schools tried to say that, you'd have to put in a request for X, Y, or Z, whatever you want to do for name, image, and likeness, and it would take up to seven days for the request to be accepted or denied. Well, that's not going to work out for basketball players in the NCAA tournament. That's not going to work out for the kid from Valparaiso that hit the game-winning three-pointer to upset the number two seed Gonzaga Bulldogs because that's where they belong, getting upset and losing in the tournament. 
You can't have nor a seven-day – that has to be seven minutes when you start signing is, the next Nor is it going to work out for Scott Drew, son of Homer Drew, right. who hit the game-winning shot against Ole Miss on the Pacer play. That's night of. The highlight that lives in infamy. That's There's a briefcase waiting on your locker room chair after the game. Call me with a business card. Update 527 in the fourth. The Bucks trying to scratch and claw their way back in it, down eight after being down 13. Uh, Booker hitting big three after big three whenever uh, the Bucks seem to make a little run. Here's Giannis to the rack, fade away, knocks it down off of one foot, and the lead is six with 5-12 to go. Can the Bucks get over this hump? As Bill Russell used to say, the long road back. The long road back, you expend so much energy to get back into the game. Do you have enough to finish? And that's the question because now the Bucks are you know, trying to defend Chris you know, Chris Paul, who dribbles the ball for 20 seconds, a la James Harden, and then chucks up a three and misses, a la James Harden. Well, let's do this. And there's no other perfect way to close the show if you've been listening for a long time. For anyone that wants the Bucks to win tonight, for you and I who want the Bucks to win the series, with five minutes to go, the Suns are up six. So we'll just call it. Here on the new report, old report, the Suns are taking a 2 nothing series lead. Up six, sure looks like they'll cover. The line is four and a half. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, from my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, the new report. I am Al from White Plains, the old report. Enjoy the rest of the finals, and everyone have a great and safe sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.